Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and we got another round two. It's a round two bonanza. We have the one and only Scott Ingram, the host of the Sales Success Stories podcast. Nick, why should people listen? I want you to imagine, Armand, a world where an individual talks to hundreds of top 1% performing sales reps and then distills all their learnings into their brain. Scott Ingram has done that. He's here to share quite a few learnings with all of us. Three, two, one, hundreds of learnings. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Scott, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
Glad to be back, Nick. Let's do this. So the first one is ask for introductions. You know, there's so much emphasis right now just in the sales space in all things cold and building these 42-step cadences. And I think we've forgotten that one of the best ways to get into new opportunities and to set meetings is to get an introduction. So ask for those introductions. Beautiful. What's number two, Scott? The second one is when it comes to those introductions, you need to do the heavy lifting. So two things really easy on that idea. One is know who you want to be introduced to. Don't put all of that on them and have to think through their entire network. Come with an idea or two. Say, hey, I was looking at your network. What about Nick or Armand? Could you introduce me to them? Then when it comes to the introduction, do the work, You know, draft an intro for them. You guys had a great tip about record the Vidyard video for the person that you want to be introduced to and ask them to forward that to them. That's a great way to do it, but you have to do that work. Don't put it on them. Nice. What's number three, Scott? Round us out. So the third one is is maybe a little bit squishier, but I think we can make it real, is build your brand to support your credibility and value. So you're going to be even easier to introduce if people know of your reputation, right? If your reputation precedes you and they just saw that the amount of value that you were able to add in that conversation is real, it's even easier to introduce you. One of the easiest ways I think you can start to build that credibility is just take those little nuggets of insights that you have in one conversation. You might want to anonymize that person. You might say, hey, I was just talking to another executive in your industry. And one of the things they told me that was fascinating to me was XYZ, right? Being able to relay those stories from their peers. And you can do that in a lot of forms. I do that through podcasts is, is one of the ways that, that I run that particular play. So Scott, oftentimes reps want to know, hey, I know I want referrals, but I don't want to ask at the wrong time. Should I be asking after a discovery call? Should I ask after the, deal is, after the deal is signed? Should I ask when they gave us an NPS of 10? How do I actually bake this into my sales process? Yeah, I think don't overthink it, right? I, I There is no perfect time. There's no, no wrong time, really, right? It's... As you're, as you're building each of those call plans, it should just be an item on your plan, right? Hey, here's an opportunity for me to make that ask. The most important thing that you do is that you ask. That is the most common thing that people miss. You're not going to get those introductions if you don't ask for them. So don't worry about finding the perfect time and is it the right conversation and the right point in the conversation? Just ask. Scott. I never in my entire career have been given a referral and I've only asked like three or four times and it's always been like, I've sort of been sheepish about it. And I've been like, well, do you know anyone else who's looking? And it just hasn't gone well for me. And I think it's because I'm not doing some of the upfront work. So when you and I were on the prep call for this, we were talking about like, I have some awesome meetings with like these CFOs of law firms that I, that I sell to. And at the end of the meeting, you're like, man, Nick, you were so helpful. This was really great. And I'm looking forward to our next demo next week. I guess I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, there's probably a good opportunity because this person's like, they've got some gratitude. I feel like I helped them in this call. Can you talk to me? Like, what do I say in that moment? And how do I introduce it? Because I'm also in sales cycle with them. And I don't want to damage that relationship by making them feel uncomfortable. What I would say would simply be, Nick, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And as you can tell, 
I love this stuff, right? Like I, I just get off on being able to help folks and, and share this type of knowledge and this type of stuff and just being able to have these conversations. Are there people that you spend time with kind of in your peer network that are in kind of this same place that you think I might be able to help? And you can just leave it at that, right? The more specific you're able to make that ask, the easier it is for them to go, oh yeah, I know the perfect person. Let me make that intro right now. And I think that across the board, this needs to be the approach is, do you know, or how good is your relationship with this person? So ask that first, understand where that relationship is for them, because it may be, you know what, we, we met this one time at this one conference four years ago. I don't really know them. In those scenarios, it's not even fair to ask, right? But they may, it may be, oh my gosh, that was my college roommate. And, and I think what you do then is dig into what is the context of that relationship? What do they know about them, right? Get into kind of the human element. And then hopefully you do have some nugget. There's some little insight that you can be, you know, I've been thinking about them a lot in the context of PAVE. And I, I think that. I think that we could have a really productive five-minute conversation about this particular topic. Are you comfortable making that introduction? Right. And, and you really have to be soft about this because you don't want to make the person you're asking to make the introduction to feel uncomfortable or obligated or anything else. Right. Like no is a perfectly okay answer. And you can't go into any of this with, with like a hard expectation that you need to do this for me. That's not fair. So one of the things that when I was selling insurance was really tough for me is it was a 100% referral based business. And so if you did not get referrals, your business would die. And a lot of times we would talk about, Hey, would, would you refer you to somebody else? And you get people who are like starting to wonder, like, am I referable? Like, am I a weirdo? Do people trust me to be in front of my customers or are they like, there's no way I'd let that Nick guy in front of my friends. And so how do I work on my, my personal brand or whatever it might be, my sales process to make myself seem more likable, referable, what have you? Just asking that question of yourself is a great starting point, right? Am I referable? And then I think the next place you go with that is go right back to that mentor network. Start asking people that you have enough relationship with that you've maybe you've done business with to say, hey, you know what? One of the things I'm working on is just getting more referrals and being more referable. And the question I'm asking myself, and I'd love your perspective on is, do you think I'm referable? And why or why not? Right. And then working on those things. And, and there's another perfect lead. And if they say, yeah, absolutely. Like you, you served me so well. I love being your customer. Awesome. Ask for a referral. <laughs> if not, if you can get some feedback, now you've got something to work on. And, and let's, let's round trip this again, then go back to them in a couple of weeks and say, you know what? I, I took your feedback and here's what I'm working on. Here's what I've done. I would love to know if there's a point where you would feel comfortable referring, right? You told me last time I had some work to do. I'm going to continue to do that work. And, and part of my goal is to meet your bar for referability so that I can come to you and make an ask for an introduction. Scott, you know what you're talking about. I mean, you've been in the space that you're, you're in right now for a really, really long time. And I found that you kind of need to strike a balance in a meeting like that where you want to demonstrate credibility, but you don't want to just like talk at that person and be like, well, I've been in this space for 20 years and I know everything about everything here. Cause they're like, well, that's not why I came here. I came here to solve a problem. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about like when you're in a meeting, 
tactically, how do you how do you balance demonstrating credibility while also understanding their pain and problem that you can hopefully solve and then I don't know, close a deal? So for me, a lot of times what that is, is let me lead with an insight, right? I was just talking to this person who looks and sounds a lot like you. They were struggling with X. One of the things they shared was Y. What does that look like for you guys? Are are you struggling with that same issue? And then we can have a whole conversation. And the rest of that should be just me asking questions. And if I... The, the real way that you're demonstrating that expertise is asking questions about things that they haven't even thought about yet, right? I, I heard, I was at the Outbound Conference here recently, and and one of the things they were talking about was, and I, I wish I could remember who said it, it was probably Anthony Iannarino, who, who was saying that when somebody says, hmm, that's a good question, that usually means that you got them to think about something they hadn't thought about before. That means you're on the right track. Like the more that you can get that type of a response. And then again, super, super important, stay quiet. Let them sit in that. Don't jump up and down. You're like, yeah, that was a great question. No, let them sit with that question for a little bit and formulate an answer because there's nothing more valuable than watching and hearing somebody's thought process in real time. Like really, like I didn't have that answer right in my back pocket. I'm going to have to think through that. I'm going to have to talk through that. Now you're on to something. One thing that I don't know if we've ever talked about is the right way to manage references. In other ways, the other way around. So having your prospects get referred to people that you know or customers that you already have to help you cinch up the deal. So are there any best practices you have around managing the relationship the other way around? Yeah, for, for sure. So this is one of the benefits of being in sort of the same space in the same company over a period of time because ideally, you want to be in a position that you can sort of manage all of your own references. You're not having to go to the market marketing team or other parts of the organization to do this because then your reference is good for two things. One, you know, references can be dangerous, right? If you haven't vetted that, then you might be setting things up to, I actually just killed my deal because I set somebody up with a bad reference and they're like, actually, you probably shouldn't do business with these folks, right? So one is if I can find a reference that I have a relationship with, not only will they be able to speak to my solution, but they're going to be able to speak to me. And they're going to say, look, Scott is not going to go away after the end of the deal. He's going to take care of you. He's always done right by us and and served us and those types of things. But that's where it starts, right? Whether it's your own or it's somebody else, you have to have some type of real quick prep call to understand like, hey, here's the things that are likely going to be important to them. Here's the things that they're likely going to ask about and they're going to care about. How do you feel about that? Again, just kind of qualifying that reference. And I will never blind connect a reference, right? Even if I know this is my happiest customer, they would do anything for me. Doesn't matter out of respect for them. And and this is what I'm managing this on both sides. You ask for that reference. I'm going to say, look, when you're a happy customer, I'm always going to ask you first before I I connect you with somebody that's that's asking for a reference. So let me do that with them. Let me get their permission. And then I'm going to set you guys up. So that that tends to be kind of my process that, that mitigates some risk, Make sure you keep you're respecting the relationship and their time because maybe you know it's, it's they're they're an accounting firm and you're in the middle of tax season. Yeah, that's kind of the wrong time to be asking them and burdening them with with a reference call. You're gonna need to find somebody else. Scott, how do you handle unreasonable reference asks, such as I want a list of all of your customers, or it's the very first call you've had with somebody and they're like, well, I'm gonna need to speak with some references, and you have a an eight month sales process. 
How do you handle one of those asks? Yeah, so I'm I'm always I'm always going to let them know, hey, we're happy to help you with with the references stuff, but typically for us that's much later in our process. Like let's make sure what ultimately what I want to try and get is I want you to tell me that I'm your vendor of choice and we're just going to work through the details from there because to me a reference is part of a due diligence process. It's not it's not a front end thing, it's a back end thing. So let's get there first. Let's make sure that we're the right solution before I make a big ask of my customers to spend time with you, right? J- again, I'm going to set this up the same thing, just like I would want to respect your time and not have you talk to a bunch of random prospects on the front end of a sales process that, that's just not a good use of anyone's time. How do you brief your your references? Because some sometimes I'll see reps just go like, hey, meet this guy. And the guy's like, okay. And they jump on the call and the next thing you know, they're peppering them with seven security questions or questions about granular permissions. And the reference is like, oh, someone else on my team was managing that. So how do you, how do you prime them so that the conversation goes well? Yeah, actually I was, I, before we came on, I was listening to our first episode. So folks can go back and, and listen to episode 11. And, and we talked about some of the, I, I don't think it's very different from the way that you brief your own executives and others on your team when you're bringing them into your deal, right? So it's really just, you wanna provide a little bit of context, right? Here's the company, here's what they're trying to achieve, here's what I think they're gonna be most interested in and what they're gonna wanna ask about, and and then just setting it up that way. And you can do that on the other side too, and for the person that wants to have the reference call, ask them, hey, what are the things that you're going to want to make sure that you ask about so that I can help prepare them and, and make sure that it, this is the right person? Because, Armand, you, you bring up a great point. There's lots of people in that particular company that I could connect them with. So typically, I, I think the easiest way to manage that is just make it a peer-to-peer type of thing, right? So it's, if it is, it's an executive doing the reference call, well, I should be connecting them with another executive. It's a, If it's a technical user, let's connect them with somebody else technical. Scott, one of the things that I've been reading and seeing a lot on LinkedIn, especially LinkedIn recently, is people who are like, you got to build your brand. It's so important you build your brand. And I see a lot of salespeople like, making some sort of weird posts on LinkedIn and an effort to build their brand. And I feel like you're somebody who's done it really well. And it's something that you put in the prep doc was the idea of like putting together masterminds and developing a brand and a network. And it's resulted in you with one, some really cool business ventures that I, I want to talk with you about, but then two, you've built sort of this referral network and you're a trusted person in your space. And so I guess I'm wondering what advice do you have for people who like need to go and build a brand and they might be in sort of a weird space? Like it's easier for you and me maybe because we're selling to sales and marketing and that stuff is sort of natural to talk about on LinkedIn. But what if you sell the legal tech? Well, a couple of things. One, what do you want to be known for, right? So within that industry, what's going to be valuable to the people that you're selling to and where are they? Right. If they're not in sales and marketing, they're in legal tech. Are they on LinkedIn? Maybe not. So where are they? And that's where you need to be. It's sort of pointless to be trying to build this brand and this reputation where the people who you want to expose that to aren't. So you got to solve for those two things. A personal brand, the way I see it, isn't necessarily just what you're saying about yourself and what you're posting and all of these things. It's your reputation. It's what other people say about you and how they feel about you. So your brand happens inside of your organization. What are you known for inside of your company? 
right? What are you known for with your customers? How have you set yourself up? How have you built that credibility? That's probably the most important, most direct thing because I know, Nick, if, if we've been in three meetings together as part of the sales process and I've got a really good feel for you and I understand your style and the value that you bring and you post this other like really random stuff on LinkedIn, your brand is the one that I'm most directly connected to. Not this like silly stuff that you're posting that may or may not be relevant to me. Scott, I want to ask you one more question that's sort of complete. It's not sort of, it's totally unrelated to what we've been talking about. It's something you said earlier. You were talking about this Fortune 500 account that you were working and you were having a conversation with one person and there was another division that it sounded like used a comparable or competitor product and you sort of wanted to break into that other division and I don't think Armand and I have ever really sold that big at like the enterprise level. And so I'm really curious to learn from you about like, how the heck do you keep track of an account like that where you've got multiple roles and divisions and opportunities to sell multiple times within the same account? Yeah. So, well, typically what's happening in that scenario and, and probably the reason you're struggling to wrap your head around it is when you're working in that scale of accounts, you don't have dozens or hundreds of them. Right, you you've got a pretty small set that you that you're working right. So I probably have I don't know 15 active Fortune 500 accounts. So it's a little bit easier to manage from that perspective. And then you're doing a lot of kind of stakeholder mapping type of work. I spend a lot of time in my accounts just again getting curious and understanding what is the organization structure. Right. What what are the different divisions? What are the different geographies? What is the the support model? Right. Are, are they really siloed? Are they more centralized? What you know? How do they make decisions? Is it really procurement led? Is it more driven by the the business? All of these types of of things. And then you know just just the over time understanding what are the network dynamics because that might be a little bit different than the the way the divisions are are set up and the way that the org chart works in terms of you know who has influence and and who can kind of steer things and who's really well connected right sometimes i find some great champions where they're not in very senior positions but they're they've just got the whole company wired and they can walk me into all kinds of crazy doors and they have their own personal brand inside that organization where they're known for bringing value to other people. So that's a great person to, to have that relationship with because it's a, it's a two-way street, right? I'm going to be able to add value to them because they can use me to add value to other parts of, of the organization. Because again, we've built that level of, of trust that like, I'm going to make you look good. Like this, this introduction is does not carry relational risk. I'm not going to hurt you and make you look bad because you're like, oh my God, really? You introduced me to that guy? Like, don't bring any more used car sales guys in here. That's not okay. So Scott, with a book that you only got, you know, 15 accounts. And one of the things people struggle with is, they blast an account with their 42-step cadence or sequence or whatever it is. And they're like, all right, I'll let that one rest for 60 days and then come back. Well, with 15 accounts, you can't, you have to be able to gracefully walk back in. And if you get the first no, you need to be able to like sort of wedge your way in somewhere. You're working one account over months. And so even if you get a no from one person, how do you gracefully break into accounts? Because if you get 15 no's, then you literally don't have a territory anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think one, you don't want to put yourself in a position that it is, it is hard nose. So part of this is just the context around, I work for a professional services company. So it's not like I have this one product that does this one thing. And if that doesn't help you, I'm done. Right. A lot of this is just having really collaborative conversations, right? Asking a lot of those questions, understanding what those issues are. And then I get to do the work behind the scenes and hopefully I'm bringing them ideas or I'm introducing them to a different consultant who has a similar experience on my team that worked on a, on another project in another company and they can share some perspective. So I've got a lot of different angles that I can use. And remember when you're thinking really broadly about these accounts, some of sometimes there are hundreds of people I can potentially be talking to. So it's it's pretty hard to run out of folks and feel like, okay, I'm done. Like I've, I've talked to everybody. It's also for me, it, it's a more patient uh, approach, right? This, this isn't, let me just blast them and, and try and get through this. And anybody who will talk to me, we're going to have this conversation. It's way more thoughtful than, than that. And it ties back into the into the brand, right? Is Scott known as somebody who's going to bring value to a conversation, right? E- even if I've met with Scott before, it was three months ago, there wasn't an opportunity. Did I get enough value from that conversation that I'm like, oh, Scott, you've got another idea. I'm willing to take that meeting. That is really, really key. And, and I, I get this from a lot of enterprise sales folks, especially when they work for super name brand companies, right? If you work for Microsoft, you work for LinkedIn, you work for Google, getting the first meeting is the easiest thing ever because you work for Google. Getting the second meeting, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Because that means that you brought enough value in the first meeting, that there was something relevant there and they're willing to meet with you again. That's the game. Well, so you just said something there where you're reaching out to these people a second time with like an idea. And that's different than sort of the prospecting that I I do where I'm like, hey, I think you have a problem. I think I can solve this problem. You want to learn about how we can help you. Can you talk about that like idea formulation and how you're using that as a prospecting uh, opportunity? Yeah. So, I mean, idea, insight, question, right? It's, it's any of those things where, again, oftentimes I'm coming in with some type of assumption, like I've heard this about what you're dealing with, or again, we've solved this challenge for three other divisions in your business. I wonder if you're struggling with that. Is that an issue for you? And again, then we're into the conversation and I can start to talk about, you know, we've had success in tackling this one of two different ways, right? And it kind of depends on, on your culture and the makeup of your team. Like which of these do you think might work best? It's all of that so much of, of what I do, it's, it's, it's almost more consulting than it is sales, right? It's I'm just trying to bring ideas, to have smart conversations, to bring some good, relevant value. And this is just a ton of fun. Like All I do is have amazing, exciting conversations all day. And that makes it even easier to get that introduction and to go on to the next one. It's like, I'm, it's, it's too bad it didn't work out here, right? There wasn't an opportunity for us to fix this. Do you think this other division over here that I haven't talked to you yet, do you think they might, might be able to, to be served by, by what I'm talking about? Oh, sure. Awesome. Can you introduce me? This has been phenomenal. Um, we're running out of time. We got to move to the final question. Final question is this. So we talked about a ton of great things salespeople can be doing in their lives to do better, but now we got to flip that on its head and talk about a bad habit. So my last question for you is what's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they should probably stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? 
I think that bad habit is just taking any one of these ideas and not making it your own or, or taking something that works for somebody else and, and just trying to, trying to do that when it may just not fit your style, your approach, your industry, any of those types of things. We've got to be a little bit more thoughtful about, okay, here's Scott shared an interesting idea. I want to try this introduction play, but I really need to think about, okay, for me, in my process, in my approach, how is that going to work best? How can I how can I try that in a, in a way that that fits me and isn't the way Scott does it? Because you're not Scott. I love it, Scott. Anything you want to plug before we jump off here? You know, I've got a a brand new thing. Depending on the on the timing of this, it may not be that wildly new, but a lot of people are familiar with my LinkedIn Sales Stars uh, process that I've been running for a while, and we've built a tool to automate that. So if you go to successalizer.com, you can put in your email address and your LinkedIn profile, and it will give you your engagement score and tell you how you rank. It's a pretty cool little tool. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to be checking every single morning now. Scott, this is awesome. And, and folks, if you're listening to this, Scott was talking about thanking mentors for the work that, that they've done and, the, and what they've given back to you. If you enjoyed Scott's interview here, please message him on LinkedIn and tell him you heard him on the show because he's helped me and Armand a lot as we've developed this show and our, I don't know, sales careers. So um, Scott, thanks a lot for coming on the show and everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Scott Ingram include number one, do not just ask for referrals openly. You can make suggestions of, hey, do you know this guy, Nick? Number two, when you're getting a referral or when someone's going to send some information to a referral, use a video. You can personalize the message. And if that gets passed around, you're much more likely to actually get the referral. Number three, when you're getting a reference for a customer, don't just say, hey, go talk to this potential prospect. Prep your reference so they know exactly what the talking points are and exactly what objections your prospect will have. 
And then lastly, number four, demonstrate credibility. Do not only ask questions. You need to display some insight. In other words, these are some things that I've seen happen with other customers or things I've seen in the space. I'm curious to see if those resonate with you at all. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? All right, we talked about referrals. Look, if you like the show, share it with a salesperson who might get something out of it. That's a great referral. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Notes.